It's Thursday night. It's the night that Jesus spent time in the upper room with his disciples. It's the night on which they celebrated together the Passover feast. It was the night when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper in the way that we now understand it, communion, the very feast that we've just celebrated together. It's the night when Jesus gathered with his disciples for the last time and gave them final instructions, but too gave to them some final promises about what was to come in the days that lay ahead. It was a night that was filled with trouble. I guess we might expect that that night when Jesus was there with his disciples, we might think, well, Jesus was going to his cross tomorrow. He's going to face sacrifice, a cruel death. We might well have thought, Jesus, you needed a night off. Jesus, you need to enjoy some peace, some quiet, some tranquility, a night of rest. You've got a big day ahead of you tomorrow. Jesus, have a day, a night of comfort. But with what's consistent in the story throughout that we've journeyed with all through Lent coming to this point today, in fact, what's consistent with the history of the world, in fact, since the fall in Genesis chapter 3, is that everything God does, he does in the midst of trouble, and he does in the midst of difficulty. But God always triumphs over trouble, always I wonder what picture you have of Jesus as he's gathered there in the upper room with his disciples. I guess we might imagine an evening where Jesus is away from the mobs, he's away from the crowds who have pursued him throughout his ministry. Jesus is enjoying some peace and quiet away from those angry religious leaders who were quite um, angry with him and frustrated with him, wanted to see his downfall as we heard in that scripture, wanted to see him dead. Jesus was enjoying the company of the disciples that he'd spent three years with. You imagine sitting around tables, perhaps as we've done this evening, with some laughter, with some storytelling, remembering some of the great things that have happened in this shared ministry together. We imagine it would be a night of love, a night of joy, a night of satisfaction, a night of pleasure. But it turns out it was a night which had some really serious trouble. Trouble from Judas, as we know, he would betray Jesus just as Jesus said he would. There was trouble from the apostles, the disciples themselves, who were busy arguing about which one of them was going to be the greatest in this kingdom that Jesus was speaking of. There was trouble, of course, from Satan. Satan who'd come after Peter, wanting to destroy Peter's faith. And we know, too, that trouble was coming for the disciples as they were about to be scattered in fear as Jesus was arrested. But perhaps the greatest trouble comes from the rather jarring words that Jesus shares in verse 35 of those scripture verses that David read for us. And I bet you have never heard a sermon on these words. Verse 35, and he said to them, When I sent you out without a purse and a bag and sandals, you did not lack anything, did you? And they said, no, we lacked nothing. And he said to them, but now let him who has a purse take it along, likewise a bag, and let him who has no sword sell his robe and buy one. For I tell you that this which is written must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. 
for that which refers to me has its fulfillment. And they said, Lord, look, here are two swords. And Jesus said to them, it is enough. Trouble from Judas? Yes. Trouble from the disciples? Yes. Trouble from Satan? Always. Trouble with regard to Peter and the disciples that were about to be scattered? Probably. And now Jesus says to his disciples, you can also expect trouble from a hostile world that's out there. When Jesus shared those words from verse 35, he's reminding them of the previous ministry that they've enjoyed together. Do you know, the truth is the disciples had generally been received really well during their three-year ministry, wherever it was that they went. They were welcomed by massive crowds who were thrilled to have Jesus around as he taught. They were thrilled to see Jesus healing people. They were thrilled to see all the dramatic stuff of Jesus casting out demons. People wanted to have Jesus in their town. They wanted to have Jesus in their presence. And actually, they were happy to receive the disciples as well because they came as part of the Jesus package. But things had been comfortable Mostly it was a walk in the park, but their walk in the park was about to turn into an uphill battle in the days ahead. You see, from the disciples' perspective, absolutely everything was on kingdom schedule. Everyone was embracing their ministry, and generally, everybody loved them. They had a general sense of well-being together. And of course, because of that, they expected things were going to continue to go well, and that they would find themselves in the elevated positions in Jesus' kingdom. That's why they were busy arguing about who was going to be the greatest. Their assumption was that they were going to be in a place of prominence, in a place of honor, in a place of exaltation, and a place of glory. But Jesus is about to burst their bubble, isn't he? Until now, they've never experienced persecution, apart from maybe the odd person saying, no, thank you, I'm not interested, or the door-to-door evangelist having a door shut in their face. It's no big deal. But Jesus is saying, that's not how it's going to be. There's trouble ahead. When Jesus was arrested, we read that the disciples scattered. Suddenly their community was going to be blown apart and they were going to be doing faith as individuals. In fact, not long after Christ had been killed himself, the disciples would be martyred because of their faith in him. Now, maybe none of this should have surprised the disciples. Jesus had given them plenty of indications in the day before what was coming. In the days before the Sermon on the Mount, he warned, blessed are those who are persecuted. In Luke chapter 9, he said, if you want to follow me, you'd better be ready to take up your cross. In other words, this could cost you your life. In chapter 12 of Luke's gospel, he said, you're going to be dragged into the courts and you're going to be dragged into the synagogues. In chapter 14 of Luke, he said to them, look, you better count the cost. The cost is high for following me. I wonder what they imagined as Jesus spoke those words into their lives. So Jesus reminds them, up till now, this has been good, hasn't it? You've had everything that you've needed. All of your needs have been met and you've been supported completely. Verse 35. And then he gets to verse 36. And he said to them, And there are two transition words. Here they are, but now. It's been like this, but now 
You're not going to enjoy that in the future. You're not going to find a welcoming world of unbelievers. You're not going to find people in Israel or the Gentile world throwing their doors open wide to invite you in to share the good news with them. The nation that has rejected me and will demonstrate that tomorrow will reject you. You preach me, they will reject you. I'm guessing this moment in that upper room was a shock for the disciples as they heard Jesus say, but now. But now, anyone who would proclaim Christ, every missionary, every witness of Christ, those apostles, any disciples that followed, anyone that would speak to proclaim Jesus will be doing so into a hostile world. Let him who has a purse and a bag take it along. You're going to have to find your own support. And then come the really shocking words. And if you don't have a sword, let him who has no sword sell his outer robe and buy one. Jesus really did say it's better to have a sword than an outer robe. Now, I don't think this was a sword for attack. I think this was a sword for defense. And in fact, I suspect this sword was a metaphor. It was a figurative thing. Jesus is saying, look, you're going into a defensive, into a hostile world. You're going to need some form of defense. How do we know that Jesus was speaking figuratively about that sword? Well, just a few verses later, we read that when Jesus is arrested, the disciples suggest that they should take out the sword and use it. And Jesus says, stop, no more, no more. You don't need a sword. He's telling the disciples, you can expect to be hated as I have been hated. What a moment. What a sobering moment in the midst of the joy of gathering with Jesus. What a difficult moment of trouble in the midst of Jesus' great sacrifice, in the midst of betrayal. But there's good news in this story, and it's this news that we need to leave here this evening with. Even in the midst of this trouble that Jesus speaks of, he inserts a line of triumph, and it comes in verse 37 if you want to look it up. Jesus says, For I tell you, I tell you this, that that which is written must be fulfilled in me. All of this hatred, all of this animosity, this hostility, this slaughter, Starting with me, all of this is a fulfillment of all that's already been spoken of in the Scriptures. This is the triumph in the midst of trouble. Jesus, God, is working out his great plan of salvation. Verse 37, in fact, is so important that Jesus says it twice. This which is written must be fulfilled in me. Twice he says, in me, to me, which is to say, I am the fulfillment of this prophecy. And what was the prophecy? Well, Jesus speaks out those few words from Isaiah chapter 53. And he was numbered with the transgressors. It's worth putting those few words into their context. Isaiah prophesied this. He grew up before him like a tender shoot. And like a root out of dry ground, he had no beauty he had no majesty to attract us to him. There was nothing in his appearance that should make us desire him. He was despised. He was rejected by mankind, a man of suffering 
and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And it's by his wounds that we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each has turned to their own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. And yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Incredible prophecy that Isaiah spoke out describing Jesus and his ministry. In the midst of Jesus' trouble, there's triumph as he works out his great plan and his purposes of salvation for you and for me. You chose the cross with every breath. Because of Jesus' unfailing love, I am forgiven. I am restored.